we all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. Ah, feel the whoa with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. You're about to experience a life-giving message from Bishop Kevin Foreman, pastor of Harvest Church, one church in global locations. To find out more about Bishop Foreman and Harvest Church, visit our website at www.harvestchurch.church. Your faithful giving is how we continue to bring life-giving messages like these to you. Give online in our mobile app or text the word giving to 59769. Remember to love God, love people, and love life. We're taking over. Expeditiously tonight, uh, high school students are making their way to Youth Lounge, middle school making their way to the training center. Lift your Bible high. Let's make our confession of faith together. It's right there on the screens. Everybody, everywhere, here, YouTube, Facebook, Roku, everywhere. Let's say it together. I am unconditionally loved by God and at Harvest Church. I'm in my year of acceleration, accelerated progress, accelerated faith. This year, all I do is win in Jesus' name, Selah. Remain standing for me for just one moment. Scripture we've looked at the last two Wednesdays, Leviticus 23 and 1. The feast we're honoring tonight technically was on Sunday, which is why I did not uh, stress the importance of physical attendance, although you should always be here physically on this past week uh, because it was technically this Sunday. Uh, But I'm honoring it, and we're going to teach about it tonight. Somebody say tonight. Leviticus 23.1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. Notice the flow of communication. God spoke to the man of God. The man of God spoke to the people of God. Say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy. Holy means distinct. Convocations means gathering. Say distinct. Gathering. These are my feasts. Say this is God's idea. God, speak tonight. Do it in a great way. You've already manifested your presence here in a great way. Take it to another level, we pray. In Jesus' name, answer every prayer. Remove every burden. Break every yoke to every ungodly thing that's connected to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody sit. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, and I want to move expeditiously tonight, so flow with me. Say, I'm flowing with you, Bishop. God nor the Bible, as you know by now, is based off of the Gregorian calendar named after Pope Gregory the 13th. It goes from January to December. Instead, the Bible is based off of the Hebrew calendar. The Hebrew calendar, you know, has how many starts to it? You should know this by now. Four different starts to the calendar depending on the purpose. But the civil year, that's when the year changes. It changes at Rosh Hashanah, also known as the Feast of Trumpets. And that has already begun. We celebrated that two weeks ago. So you're now a couple of weeks into a brand new spiritual year. Say, I'm in a new spiritual year. 
Uh, last week, we honored the second major fall feast, which is the Day of Atonement, uh, and we talked about that. And today, we honor the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is the last of the three major fall feasts, and again, as I mentioned to you, that was officially on Sunday. A feast, we've learned, y'all, is a meeting between God and men that God sets. This isn't our doing, it's his doing, and it's marvelous. Now, let that sink in for a moment. God wants to have a meeting with you and I. Think about that. In our flesh, think about this, we don't deserve a seat at the table, but because of his grace and mercy, we are given a seat at the table. I don't think you let it sink in for a minute, because if you were summoned to a meeting at the White House, whether you like the president or not, you would still feel uh, 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 that there was some level of significance to the invitation because of the office from which it came. If you were invited to your chief executive office uh, 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 at your place of employment and your CEO invited you, you would feel some level of honor because of the office that invited you. Consider this, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I am, the God that created everything that is, that was, and that will ever be. He has summoned you and I for a meeting, and he says, this is my feast, and I want to meet with you. Touch your neighbor, say, you must be somebody. God doesn't meet with junk. He doesn't meet with trash. He doesn't meet with throwaway. If God wants to have a meeting with you and I, that means there must be something significant about you that you and I have not yet discovered about ourselves. Could it be that some of the hell you go through has nothing to do with how bad you are, but it has everything to do with how much of a threat you are? I've never seen an enemy oppose anything that was not of some value or some level of significance. I've never seen a thief break into an empty vault. What they did is they discerned that there was something of value, and once they discerned there was something of value, it became a target. Some of you have been a target since you came out of your mother's womb because the enemy knew there was great value in you and great significance in you, and he couldn't kill you with the rape, he couldn't kill you with the molestation, couldn't kill you with the bad relationship, couldn't kill you with the car accident, couldn't kill you with the bankruptcy. Couldn't tell you what your Judas betraying you. He couldn't kill you. He can't figure out how you're still standing. But I think there's a few of us in here tonight that know it's because of his grace and it's because of his mercy. I dare you to just give him a 10-second praise for his grace and for his... There's a reason I'm still standing. And it ain't got nothing to do with how good I am. It's got everything to do with how great he is. Slap your neighbor. High five. Say you must be a threat. Wrong neighbor, try the other one, say you must be a threat. Uh, there are seven, seven major feasts. God wants to meet with you and I. There are seven major feasts. Seven, we've learned, is the biblical number of completion. So in the feast, we see this picture of entering into God's completion or entering into God's shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word we use often here at Harvest which means peace. It's so amazing to me when I hear people who have never used shalom and they hear you use it and now all of a sudden they're using shalom. Have you ever noticed how co-workers are talking shalom to you? <laughs> Family members that don't even come to church are saying shalom to you. Uh, it, it is because, because there's something significant about that. Shalom is this Hebrew word peace, which means nothing broken, nothing missing, and nothing lacking. Say it with me. Nothing broken, nothing missing, and nothing lacking. Now, in all of this, please understand, please understand, in the feast we see entering into God's shalom. God's shalom. Say his shalom. shalom. Now, when we honor the feast, we see shalom. We dishonor the feast, we don't see shalom. So many Christians have never been taught to honor the feast. They were taught that's something for the Jews, or they were taught that's for somebody else. There's nothing we're supposed to do with it. And so consequently, they did not experience the fullness of God's plan for their life because they did not know to honor what God had made important. Sometimes you're not doing wrong. You're not doing enough of what's right. 
I'm going to say it again. Sometimes you're not doing wrong. You're not doing enough of what's right. We've learned so far that there are four spring feasts. That is the feast of Passover. We're not talking about that. Feast of unleavened bread. We're not talking about that. Feast of first fruits. We ain't talking about that. Feast of weeks. We're not talking about that. Uh, in the fall feast, you have the Feast of Trumpets, which is Rosh Hashanah. That is when the shofar is blown. And when the shofar is blown, disorder has to go. Have you noticed how things have been changing very rapidly these last few weeks of your life? I wish I had somebody that would be honest. Have you noticed how things have been changing very rapidly? Matter of fact, stuff that mattered to you three weeks ago, some of you ain't even thinking about it today. Why? Because you've entered into a brand new spiritual year. Disorder had to go. And if that disorder was in your mind or in your thought process, God began the process of eviction in you. Some of you, God was kicking you out of you. He was evicting you out of yourself because the you that you were was not the you you needed to be for this new spiritual year that you're in. Which is why you've been in like an internal tug of war. And God says, baby, you ought to just give up because I'm going to win. Because this is not a fight that you have the ability to fix. Stop fighting like a girl. Are y'all still here? Now, now, now watch this. Disorder has to go. The sound of the shofar was to awaken the listener from his or her slumber and alert them to the coming judgment, which is finalized at the Day of Atonement. So the year changes. We went from 5778 to 5779. You know this, right? Eight is the number in the Bible of new beginnings. Nine is the number of birthing. It's the completion of a cycle, which meant in eight you were preparing, in nine you're seeing. In eight, you were getting ready. In nine, the game is going. Which means this whole last year was nothing but preparation. And preparation lasts longer than the actual game itself. But if you don't prepare, you, you will not be ready to rule, reign, conquer, and subdue. Somebody say, I'm prepared. You were developing skills last year, you'd need this year. You were developing a toughness last year, you would need this year. You were developing a thick skin last year, you need this year. You were developing an emotional, watch this, in an emotional toughness you need this year. God says last year I had to let you be betrayed by some folk and talked about by some folk. Why? Because this year when you get moved up higher, you need to learn how to not even let that stuff phase you or affect you. Uh-huh. Say preparation. To manifestation. So, so, so we learn that at Rosh Hashanah, it's a new year. Then 10 days later, we have the 10 days of awe. And those are days of uh, uh, fasting and prayer and consecration. We talked about all of those things and repentance. It's where we self-reflected and self-corrected and we sowed a sacrificial seed. Y'all remember that? We learned that. If you still haven't sown that seed, you still can sow that seed today. So do not think that it's too late to sow. Say it's never too late to sow. Uh, it's never too late to sow, which means it's never too late for a harvest. I don't care how you messed up last week, month for that, month for that. It ain't never too late for a harvest. The that led us to the Day of Atonement, also called Yom, Yom Kippur. That is a time of, and I'm going real quickly here because I'm just reviewing where we've been, a time of teshuvah. And that was that Hebrew word that meant a time of repentance and returning. And this is where the concept of homecoming comes from that we have in high school and college, etc., Today, it was when people finally came to themselves. And last week, I talked to you about the prodigal son. How the prodigal son, when he returned, the parable Jesus preaches and teaches, he returned during a feast. In other words, there's a set time where God says you need to come back to yourself. 
the prodigal son, you know the story. He went out. He was doing his own thing. He asked his father for his inheritance, which is really equivalent to saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And he, he and his older brother get their inheritance. When they get their inheritance, the younger son goes off, and the Bible says he wastes everything he has with prodigal living. Prodigal, in Greek, it means soft. He was undeveloped. He wanted what he couldn't handle. Sometimes you can want what it is you can't handle. You can desire what you're not disciplined for. Y'all don't want to talk. Okay. And, and so sometimes what has to happen is you have to take an L, and in that L, in that fall, you're developing what's necessary so that when you get up, you know what to do with what you asked for. So the prodigal son, he's in the pig pen, eating what the pigs eat, and he says to himself, in my daddy's house, life would be better. Why in the heck did I do this, essentially? He starts looking at his own actions. Check out what's been happening in the last three weeks. He stops looking at his daddy. He stops looking at even his older brother. Because for him to go in and ask for his inheritance tells me that there was some stuff going on between the daddy and the brother and him. There were some underlying undercurrents that were happening in the family that nobody wanted to talk about that came to a head with the younger son saying, just give me what's mine and I'm going to leave. So what ends up happening is he goes and he wastes it all and he's in a pig pen and he's eating what the pigs eat. And he says, I could go back to my father's house and I'm going to say to him, I'm not even worthy to be called a son. I don't even deserve to be called a son. Just let me be like one of the hired servants because either the servants are living better than I was. Watch this doing life my way. Sometimes you try to tell God, look, I'm going to do this my way. And what you don't understand is your way will never, ever, ever work. So sometimes he's got to let you get down in the mud, down in the mess, down in the issue so that you will say to yourself, wait a minute, why have I been trying to do it my way? Because when I did it God's way, it was working. When I did it my daddy's way, I was getting results. When I did it my daddy's way, I was seeing progress. And so he comes back to himself. He repents and he returns. Repentance is he changed his mind. Return is he took the actions. Sometimes we repent, but we don't return. You missed it. Sometimes we'll change our mind, but we don't go apologize. We'll change our mind, but we don't go fix the breach we caused. We'll change our mind, but we won't change our eating. Y'all don't want to talk. We'll change our mind, but we won't change our circle. We'll change our mind, but we won't change our conversation. So you haven't really, watched this, you haven't really had a teshuvah until you have not only repented, but you return. In other words, I didn't just say it, but I did something to show that there's been a change in me. And I think there's some of us in here that can celebrate this. Here it is. I may not be where I want to be, but I can thank God that I'm not where I used to be. I'm changing Somebody holler, I'm changing. So, so, tonight, 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 and, 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 and we are in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let me remind you that the prophecy over this spiritual year is, is say, God plays the numbers. Uh, it's in the scripture, it's called Gematria. It is called Gematria. And uh, 57, 78 was all about one thing. And I've said it many times. I keep repeating myself so that you get it down on the inside of you so you understand just exactly what's about to happen to you. Are you ready? 5778 was all about one thing, preparation. This year is all about one thing, manifestation. What you've sown, about to reap. What you prepared for will be present. And it's in the numbers. Somebody say it's in the numbers. Eight's a new beginning, new mindset, evolution. Nine is the number of birthing, fruitfulness, judgment. 
the completion of a cycle. You are now in the time that is, say it's in the numbers. So the numbers are prophesying to you. You miss it. The numbers are prophesying to you. In business, I heard somebody call it out. In business, we have a very simple principle. It's called the bottom line. And the bottom line is this, is that the numbers don't lie. If, it, if, if in business, this is business, if it doesn't make dollars, doesn't make sense. In business, if that P&L, profit and loss statement, if it is not in the black, then what we're doing is whack. You hear? Now, say it's in the numbers. The numbers say that you can't help but to have fruit this year. So even if you don't want to believe what the book says, the number says that you got to have some fruit this year. You're not walking 12 months from now. You ain't going to be talking about what a hell of a year this was. You're going to be seeing what a blessing of a year this was. Matter of fact, I wish it wasn't over because it seems like every time I've turned around, something great was manifesting. Something great was happening. Somebody holler, it's time for fruit. Time for fruit. It's the completion of a cycle. Cycles exist in bloodlines. Cycles exist in families. Cycles exist in mentality. Cycles exist in people. This is the year where the numbers say some cycles have to end. Your cycle of feeling real good when you leave church and then wanting to just leave life 50 minutes later, that's over. Your cycle of having two date days of marriage and then five days where you're like, Ugh, I can't stand them, that's over. Your days of saying, God, I'm so confused, I'm so mad, I'm so angry, that cycle is over. Why? Because the numbers are prophesying. Say the numbers are prophesying. So here we are. Let me get to where I want to go and then let's get there quickly. Here it is. We're in the Feast of Tabernacles now. Say the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, now, now. Uh, this in the scripture is also named this. It's called the Feast of Booths. 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 The Feast of Ingathering. Okay? Just for my note takers. The Feast of the Final Harvest. Okay? And the Feast of Sukkot. Okay? Depending on the type of Bible you have, it's spelled S-U-C-C-O-T-H or S-U-K-K-O-T. Depending on the type of Bible you have. Got it? Whenever you see that, it's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Here's what this feast is about. When the Lord dwells or tabernacles with us. Tabernacles um, comes from this concept that when the children of Israel were on their way to the promised land, they had to set up booths or tabernacles because nowhere that they were was permanent. Everywhere that they were was a transitional place. So the Feast of Tabernacles, God says, even in your transition, I'm still triumphant. So, so watch this. They would, they would make a move over here. And when they make a move over there, God would be like, I'm tabernacling with you. Got it? This door would shut. And they'd be like, what am I going to do? God would be like, I'm tabernacling with you. You're going to catch it in a minute. You're going to catch it in a minute. Uh, one way would look like it's not going to work. And God say, listen, I'll make, a, I'll, I'll make a way where there is no way. I'll make a river in the desert. I'm tabernacling with you. Say, the Lord is with us. No, say it like you mean it. Say, the Lord is with us. Now, here's the trip. The Lord was with them, and they didn't have possession of what he promised. But he was still with them. 
Sometimes you can think God's not with you because you don't have in your hand what you said in your head. What you saw in your head. You're like, if God is with me, the scripture talks about uh, uh, when one of the daughters was pregnant. When she was pregnant, she had twins, Jacob, Esau. And she says, Lord, if this is you, why is there a struggle? Lord, if you're with me, why is this hard? If you're with me, why are there so many challenges? Why are there so many difficulties? Anybody ever thought that? Lord, if you're in it, why is it so difficult? And God says, I'm tabernacling with you. He says to her, he says, there's two great nations that are on the inside of you. And watch this. You're about to give birth to them. The struggle is simply an indication something greater than you is about to come out of you. Let me say it again. The struggle is simply an indication that something greater than you is about to come out of you. Lay your hands on yourself. Say something greater than me is about to come out of me. Y'all ain't talking to me like an army. Say something greater than me is about to come out of me. So, so, so here it is. Here it is. I want you to go to Second Chronicles chapter 5. I, I got I to show you two stories in one verse. So I need y'all to work with me real fast. Y'all going to work with me? I'm talking slow because I want you to get it. I'll preach in a minute. Let me take you for a minute. Verse 5, or ch- 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when you catch this, you can shout, holler, scream, do whatever you want to do. Got it? 2 Chronicles. Chronicles is to tell the story of. This is King Solomon, verse 1. So all the work Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. You've already missed it. He was done preparing. (laughs) You already missed it. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was what? Finished. And Solomon brought in all the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and all the furnishings, and he put them in the house of God. Solomon was done preparing, but God had not yet filled the tabernacle. He'd worked to get it ready, but God wasn't yet filling it. Okay, you, you catch it. You, you catch it. I've been building all this time, working all this time, praying all this time, fasting all this time. I've been preparing, but God, where is the manifestation? Let's look at the verses. Let's look at the verses. Verse 2. I'm going to give you the quick version. This is the Bishop Foreman version. You ready? All the leaders got together. Verse 2. Verse 3. Then all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the seven, uh, at the what? At the feast. At the what? At the what? Now, it doesn't tell you what feast it is. Let me just tell you which feast it is. The feast of tabernacle. Solomon's done preparing. He's been working hard to get the tabernacle ready. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, he gathers everybody together. You still with me? Okay. Now, just just walk the store with me. Now, remember, when it says seven month here, it's referring to the agricultural start of the year. Y'all there? Verse 4. So all the elders of Israel came. Levites took up the ark. They brought the ark of the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacles. Uh, The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also, King Solomon, the congregation of Israel, assembled before the ark. They were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered. Say extravagant giving. You know you're delivered from money when you don't worry about giving it. 
you know, you know something doesn't have a hold on you when you can give it up without fuss. Bible says you cannot love God and mammon. Mammon is not money. It's the spirit of the love of money. So God says you can't love me and love your money at the same time. So pick which one. And to prove that you love me more than it, I will consistently ask you to give it up to show that you love me. But you're not giving it up because it leaves your hand, but it doesn't leave your life. That's why anybody that has a problem giving to God, you really have a love issue, not a money issue. The Bible says they gave so much that it couldn't be counted. And some of you, that's where you're at. You're like, God, I didn't sown so much. I, I need to check my online account to see what I gave because all I know is I didn't gave a whole bunch. <laughs> verse, verse 7. Then the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple. The most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Now, we're going to skip a few verses just to get to the point here. Verse 10. Nothing was in the ark except two tablets. Now, let me just look at me. Let me set the stage. So, for them, um, when you dealt with the ark of the covenant, it represented the very tangible presence of God. It was a thing they could look at to say, there is the presence of God. And it was a very sacred thing. Two guys that weren't priests touched it one day and they died because God says, you don't touch what's holy because you're not sanctified. You're not a priest to be able to touch it. You've not been consecrated and set aside to touch it. So since you touched it, it's got to kill you so that you learn not to play with God. Sometimes God has to show you don't play with me. I'm real. I'm not a fairy tale. I'm not some little story you tell your kids. Sometimes God has to show us, don't play with me. I think there's a few of us in here where we went through some stuff where God was like, now look here, don't do that again. Don't play with me. Now, so they've got this ark, and the ark represents the presence of God. The scripture says for you and I that the presence of God actually now chooses to, watch this, the Holy Spirit lives in us. But there's this other thing called the weight of God or the kabod of God or the manifested presence of God. I'm going to say it again because it's a lot of words, and that's why I'm talking so because I want you to get it. See, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit seals you. Experience number one. Experience number two, you can ask the Holy Spirit to feel you. When he feels you, there's many gifts that come from that. One of those is speaking in unknown tongues. There's other gifts. I've taught on that before. The third experience is that he refills you. Y'all still with me? Okay. That's awesome. But there's something greater than that. The thing greater than that is called the manifest presence of God. Would you say that with me? The manifest presence of God. Say it with me one more time. The manifest presence of God. It was also in the scripture called the weight of his glory. It was also called the weight of his presence. It was also, we're going to look at it right here. Verse 10. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb which the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. Now, they were giving extravagantly, so they were prepared, they gave extravagantly, and the only thing they were focused on was the word. You see this? Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets. Say nothing but the word. Some people don't see success because they've mixed the word with their mama's opinion. <laughs> they've mixed the word with what they feel about it. They mix the word with what they think about it. And whenever you mix the word, God says you'll miss manifestation. Touch your neighbor and say the word only. Not my feelings, not my opinions, not my thoughts, not my imaginations, not what I think can be done. This is not about what I can do. It's about what God can do through me. Verse 11. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. 
For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites, who were the singers, and those of Asaph and Heman and Jejuthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar. So let me just make all that simple, because you're like, who, Jerry? And there ain't no Jerry there, but somebody saw Jerry, I promise you. All of this is the music department and, and the people who serve in the church. That's who this is. So this is dream team. That's what it's referring to. Y'all got it? Look what they did. They came together at the altar with white linen, cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. And with them, 120 priests surrounding with trumpets. So all of the priests got around them, and the singers and those that served standing in the middle. Y'all got the scene? Okay, now look at verse 13. It came to pass when the trumpeteers and singers were one, were as one, excuse me, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now, what were they as? As one. Let me say this. Let me say this so that you get this. We are one people. Many individuals, but one people. Say we're one people. Not only are we one people, say there's one God. Say we got one leader. Say we have one mission. Listen, there's no side agendas here. There's no alternative visions here. There's no alternative facts here, by the way, either. Amen. When they were what? As one. Say as one. To make one sound. Say one sound. Why do you think I say, ah, say this together, do this together, praise together, everybody clap? Because God's not looking to hear individuals. He wants to hear one. Say one. When they were as one, and in just a moment we're going to do that. This is a short message. When they were as one to make one sound to be heard. See, everybody wasn't trying to get their solo spot. Everybody wasn't trying to say, look at how great I am. Look at how good I am. Look at how good I play. Look at how good I dance. Look at how good I mop the floor. Look at how good I work the camera. Everybody wasn't trying to do that because everybody was after one thing. They said, we want his glory to manifest. And for his glory to manifest, for our mission to be accomplished. Think about it. Solomon had been preparing, but God hadn't yet filled what they were in. So Solomon is teaching the people, and he's showing the people, for God to get in the middle of what we're doing, there can't be individuals. We've got to be one. I need somebody to say, we've got to be one. Some of you wonder why your house feels like hell. It's because you don't have one there. You, you got many individuals. Some of you wonder why your job feels that way. It's because you got individuals, not one. And let me tell you, up in here, it ain't going to be much all that going on. It's going to be one. Because when heaven hears one sound, somebody say, what happens, Bishop? When the Lord heard them, they were saying, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud this was bigger than God in them this was now God on them this was God around them they prepared but now this was manifestation I, I don't think I'm trying to talk it so that you get it because they had built this great thing and God was like but I'm not in it yet God, God says, for me to get in it, first off, it's got to be at the feast. 
Now, for me to get in it, you got to give extravagantly. Check. For me to get in it, you have to have prepared. Check. For me to get in it, you got to be focused on the word. Check. For me to get in it, watch this, you've now got to make sure that there's one sound. Check. And then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So God was like, you're not going to doubt if I'm there. Because everywhere you look, you'll see the cloud. You're missing it. You're missing it. Some of you have lived your Christian life and never seen the cloud. But tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't have one in here and I'm going to get it. Somebody say, but tonight. The cloud was God manifesting himself. Manifesting himself right in the middle of what they had prepared for, what they had worked for. And look at verse 14. So that the priest couldn't continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of God, I told you that's what that, I told you what that means. Feel the house of God. Which means God says, watch this, God says, what you've been experiencing up to tonight has been my omnipresence. I'm everywhere all the time. But during the Feast of Tabernacles, I want to introduce something new to you, and that is my glory cloud, which is when I come and sit down right in the middle of whatever your situation is, whatever your issues is, are, and I take over. Somebody say he's ready to take over. Now, now look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in a dark cloud. I surely have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. If you keep reading, there's all these other kinds of things that took place. Solomon makes this great prayer. It goes on, it goes on, etc. Here's what I want you to get. They'd prepared. And now, as evidence that they were about to have physical manifestation, first they saw a spiritual manifestation. God says, I'm going to do this spiritually first to show you what I'm about to do naturally second. Missing it, you missing it, you missing it, you missing it. God says, What you're dealing with is not my omnipresence because everybody gets that. What you're about to get is something everybody can't get. This is when my glory, glory is this Hebrew word kabod, it means my weight. God says, My weight is about to feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking as slow as I can because I want you to get it. I want to preach a lot faster, but I want to make sure that you get it. I don't just want you to shout. I want you to get it. Check this out. God says, my weight is about to overtake everything about your life. And I'm going to do it first spiritually to show you what I'm going to do naturally. Which means, watch this. How can I prophesy tomorrow's going to be the best day of my life? Because tonight something's going to happen in the spirit. Where God throws his weight around so that I get an indication of what's about to happen in the natural. Somebody say, this is the feast. In other sense, here's what Solomon was saying. I've prepared it. Now, Lord, fill it. I've been working all year to build it. Now, Lord, fill it. I've been evolving into a new me. Now, fill it. 
I've been getting my credit together, now feel it. Who am I talking to? I've been getting my mind together, now feel it. I've been getting my relationships together, now feel it. I've been getting my house together, now feel it. I've been preparing, but I need you to manifest. And an indication that a manifestation is about to happen naturally is that it first happens spiritually. Somebody say, this is a feast. Let, let me see if I can show you another scripture to help you. I got three minutes. Exodus 33, 15. Y'all okay? I'm giving you a lot of terms tonight and a lot of teaching. If you're watching online, just stick with me. If you're here, just stick with me. I'm giving you a whole lot tonight, but I need you to get this. I need you to get this. I need you to get this. Because, see, you can have lots of great strategies, but if he feels it, you won't even need it. See, I'm a planner. I like planning. I like strategic planning. I like action. I like checklists. If you know anything about me, I like checklists. I like action. I like all that. But if God feels it, there's some of that planning that God says, that's good. But you plan for that. What I'm about to give you is exceedingly and abundantly and above all that you could ask of faith. Let's see this. Let's see. Exodus, Exodus 33. 15. You ready? Then he said, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. Now, now let's go up to verse 9 so you get where we're at. The children of Israel had disobeyed, as they always do. And don't talk about them, because the Bible says in Acts that they're the church in the wilderness, which means all they are is a picture of you. Notice I didn't include me in that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Verse 9. Verse 9. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the descended and stood at the door of the and the Lord talked with notice the sequence. All the people saw the pillar standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshiped each man in his own tent door. Verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to his camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me uh, know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you also have found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider uh, that this nation is your people. And he said, in other words, G God and Moses are having this dialogue. The people didn't want to go up and take possession for what they prepared for. The people were scared of manifestation because they were so used to being in perpetual preparation. Shanda Kabasha, I'm going to preach to myself. Some folks can't handle success because you're so used to struggling. That's why if anything good happens to you, you say, well, this is too good to be true. Something must be wrong. Something must be crooked. Something must be going on. Because you are so used to being in perpetual preparation that when manifestation shows up, it's scary. Could this actually be happening now? Is it actually here now? Is it actually getting ready to work for me now? Is this it? I don't know. 
Am I actually getting a second chance that I prayed for? Because I'm so used to not getting it that I don't even know how to handle what I asked for. Because I'm so used to being in perpetual preparation. I never get to live in the manifestation of what I prayed for. And I think there's somebody in this place tonight that can say, Phil, you got to get the heck up out of here. Because I didn't prepare all that time to not see manifestation. Shout yeah. yeah. Watch, watch, watch. Are, are y'all still with me? All right, all right, all right, all right. I heard this military term. Y'all still tracking? I don't like that. I'm going to stick with my stuff. Watch. So Moses is, so the people are like, we're going to go do it now. And God was like, I'm not going now. You missed your moment. You missed it. You missed the moment. So they were like, we're going to go. We're going to do it today. And God was like, mm-mm, should have done it yesterday. And not because I can't do it today. You just don't tell me when you're going to do anything. You don't run nothing. You know, I think God had to pull a line out of a song from him. You don't know Nan. Many places that I've been. You don't know Nan. You don't know what I'm talking about. Just give God praise. Let's see. <laughs> Watch. Watch. So Moses... The people are like, we're going. We're going to do it. We're going to do it now. We're, gonna, we're ready. Moses is like, God, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. If you're not in it, I'm not with it. Lord, if you won't go, then neither will I. Verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So you will be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of love. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Then he says, please show me your glory. Then he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to you, whom I'll be gracious to. I have compassion on what I have compassion to. But he said, you can't see my face. No man can see my face and live. And the Lord said, here's a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be that my glory passes by. I will put you on the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. He says to Moses, I'm not going up, but you, Moses, want to see my glory. I'm going to let you see it. They can't because they didn't want to come. Bishop, why are you spending a little time here? The people had worked so hard to prepare that when it was time for manifestation, they got scared. Have you ever noticed that when you're finally ready to do something, you get scared? Let me give you just one thing, and I got one more scripture, and then we're going to close. Are y'all still with me tonight? I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but I want to, but you, are you getting it? Okay. All right. So, 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 have you ever noticed on a roller coaster? Anybody like roller coasters? All right. All right I like roller coasters. You're good when you're 40 minutes from the ride. People hollering, screaming, you good. Then you get up there to where it's next. <laughs> you're hearing all the click clacks. You're hearing all that, and you're like, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I think I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Save my place. And I don't believe in that. Now you, you're out. You're out to the state. 
many times when it's actually time to possess and manifest, that's when you forfeit your preparation. So why is this glory needed to push you? Let me talk over here. A lot of the times when it's actually time to get the thing you prayed for, walk in the thing you asked for, the thing you begged and cried, Lord, do it, Lord, do it. All of a sudden, when it's time to get up to the ride, you get scared. You, you freeze. You say, I don't know if I can do it. So what does the glory cloud do? The glory comes to push you. Because when God shows up, he throws his weight around. Uh, you're going to catch it in a minute. So the reason you need his glory is so that your story doesn't end at I almost. The reason you need his glory is so that your story doesn't end on I was about to. I was thinking about it. I was trying. But your story is going to be. Baby, I jumped and I leaped and I won. Somebody holler, it's manifestation time. When anybody throws their weight around, when anybody walks in to throw their weight around, when they show up, they want you to know they're there. You, 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 ever, you, ever, you, ever, you ever seen somebody walk in the room and they want you to know they run the room? They throw their weight around in an effort to get you to turn your attention to see them. In other words, the reason we need his glory, and that's what Tabernacles is all about, is so that when it's time for you to finally possess what you've been praying for, manifest what you've been asking for, that you don't get scared, and God says, I know you won't because I'm going to push you. Because I'm throwing my weight around, and when I walked into the room, everybody going to turn their head and look. And while they're looking at me, I'm going to be pushing you. While they're looking at me, I'm going to be pushing you. Touch your neighbor and say, his glory is about to push you. Why is it manifested? Why isn't it just good enough that he's in us? Because what's in you sometimes won't push you. Come here. I've been using you a lot lately. It's because you stand over there. Watch. Sometimes you can have something in you. Did you eat? Okay. <laughs> the things that come out of the front row. Watch this. Now watch this. Um, let's say you ate and you're full. You know what I had tonight? I had some nachos. I had nachos. Keto. Keto nachos. Corn chips, meat, cheese. That's keto. Yes, it is. I, I saw the paper. The paper said it's good. I, know. I, I read my paperwork. Now, you can have that in you, right? If I was to punch you or push you real hard, is it possible that that push would cause what's in you to come out? So here's what his glory does. You ain't been preparing all this time for nothing. You didn't pray all this time for nothing. And so when you say, I don't know how I'm going to do it, sometimes his glory, yep, yep, yep. his glory is going to put some pressure on you to make what's in you come out of you. And whenever you say, I can't do it, his glory gets behind you and says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yet y'all's not saying nothing. Somebody holler his glory. So, so let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Watch this. Can I give you one more story? 
Let me prove it to you. John 5. John 5. John 5. I'm preaching. John 5. Y'all got it? Verse 1. You ready? Now, first off, first off, let's go down to a few verses before we read verse 1. Go down to verse uh, number 2. We looked at this a few weeks ago. I'm going to prove to you what I just said. Because a lot of people get caught up, oh, the glory of God, and they don't do nothing. God says, that ain't my glory, that's emotionalism. My glory will push you. My glory will put pressure on you to make what's in you come up out of you. My glory will make you walk by faith. My glory will, okay. Verse 2, verse 2, verse 2, 5, verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which you can call in Hebrew, but there's the heaven what? Now, y'all remember this from a few weeks ago? Okay. In these lay a great multitude of sick folk, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time. At a certain time. Say certain time. Now, if y'all don't shout over this, I promise you I'm going to drop this mic, and the glory going to push me on a plane to somewhere hot. Then whoever stepped in first after stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had been like that for a long time. Jesus knew he had been there like that for a long time. Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, well, sir, nobody's going to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. Somebody else gets in there before me. Jesus ignores his excuse doesn't even acknowledge his excuse and then pushes him to be healed. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Who's there? Jesus. What is that? His manifest prayer. Okay. But this ain't where you shout. Go to verse 1. Go to verse 1. Come on, verse 1. Come on, verse 1. And there was a Wait, wait a minute. You, 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 you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Because you need some help. Let me slow it down. Let me slow it down. Shh. Slow it down. Look. Give me some about real scary music. What? what? That ain't scary. That's silent. There you go. Verse 2. Now you read it. I worked hard already. You read it now. One, two, ready, read. Verse 3. Say they were prepared for verse 4. Certain time. Say certain time. Verse 5. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Say certain man. He has no name, so you can put your name there. Verse. He was there how long? How long? In perpetual preparation. 
Always I'm about to. I'm fixing to. It's about to happen. It's about to go down. God's about to do it. Always talking about what's about to be. Verse. Next, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there. Keep reading. You know, look at me. Jesus says, do you want to actually get what you've been preparing for? That's what he's asking him. Verse. The sick man answered him, sir, I don't have the credit. I don't have the experience. I messed up last year. I messed up this. I did that. This, that, and the other. And there's nobody to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another man steps down before me. Verse 8. Jesus, look at me. Jesus ignores his excuses. He ignores what the man said. In essence, Jesus is like, I'm not even listening to you anymore because you're talking mess. Touch your neighbor say, you need to know something. God hadn't been listening to your complaining. Say, he stopped listening. Say, because it's time for manifestation. Verse, Jesus said to him, rise. Take up your bed and walk. Look at me. What did I just tell you the glory does? Pushes you. Say it pushes me. Say it again. What did Jesus do to this man? Jesus said, you didn't even tell me yes. But because you've been preparing, I'll treat your preparation as a yes. It's too much. I'll treat your preparation. Just a moment. We're going in a minute. I'll treat your preparation as a yes. And your preparation that I'm treating as a yes. Watch this Wednesday night. Watch this Facebook. Watch this YouTube. I'm going to judge your actions, not your words. Your action says this is what you want. Even though your words say this is what you can't have. When Jesus shows up in the flesh, what is that, church? His manifest presence. They didn't need his glory because he was physically there. For you and I, since he's not physically here, we need his glory. So what did Jesus do to the man while the man was, watch this, here's healing. Here's the man. I'm scared. This is all I know. It can't get better for me. I'm so used to struggling and praying about this, I've learned how to manage it. I've learned how to deal with it. What does this glory do? What does this glory do? Jesus' glory just pushes him off and says, you don't even get a choice. Rise, take up your bed, and be healed. What did the glory do? What did the glory do? What did the glory do? Now, look at verse 1, because you'll understand why this day is significant. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now there was a feast. Say, which one, Bishop? Tabernacles. Y'all come on, ride with me. Y'all come on, ride with me. So it was during that feast that what that man had been preparing for for 38 years, it was during that feast that God's glory, God's glory, God's glory, and touch your neighbor and say, his glory is about to. His glory is. 
pushing somebody tonight. And if you believe the word of God, give them a shout in this house tonight. I said, give them a shout in this house tonight. Give them a shout in this house tonight. Glory to God. So, <laughs> did, are, did you get it? Are you sure you got it? How many years that man prepare? How many years? And during one feast, the glory showed up. And go. Quit being scared. Come out of that discouragement. Come out of that depression. What you waiting on? What did you ask for it for in the first place? You've been preparing for it. Somebody say it's time. So, you got it? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it in two minutes. Say two minutes. The Bible says that when they sounded together as then the cloud came. Jesus isn't physically here anymore. So we want the cloud. So what do we have to do? We just read. We have to be what? Say one. Touch the neighbor. Say drop your agenda for the next two minutes. Say this is about us, not just you. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Well, I pray that today's life-giving message has spoken life into your life. I'm Bishop Foreman, pastor of Harvest Church, and at this time, I want to extend an opportunity to you to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, 2,000 years ago, God stepped in a body. That body was called Jesus. That body got on a cross and died for our sins. Now, sins are things that we do that don't please God, and they ultimately don't please God because they ultimately are very harmful and dangerous to us. Not only did he die for our sins, he died so we could have life and life more abundantly. Here's what that means. That not only do we experience God's best, but that we can speak life into other people and use our lives to change the lives of other people. And today, if you need to become a Christian for the first time, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved or born again or become a Christian. All those phrases mean the same thing. And if today you were far from God, this is your opportunity to reconnect to God. I love him because uh, he's not the God of a second chance. The truth is, is we've all used our second chance already. He's the God of another chance. He offers us constant new beginnings and fresh starts to get things right for him. He gave his life for us so that we could give our lives for him. So today, if you need to become a Christian or recommit yourself to Jesus right there where you're at, I don't care where you're listening to this message, I want you to say this with me. Say, Father... In the name of Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Because of this belief and because of this confession, if this is my first time praying this, I am now a Christian. If I was far from you, I am reconnected to you. Great days are here for me. Today is the beginning of the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are now a Christian. You're born again. You're saved from yourself. And if you were far from God, you're reconnected to God. And here's what I want you to do. Take out your mobile phone and text the word DECISION to the phone number 59769. And when you do, 
I'm going to send you a message right away that's going to show you how to make Christianity your lifestyle and not just a hobby. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. You are connected to me and connected to Harvest Church for a reason. It's because this is the place God wants to speak life into your life. This is the place God wants you to grow and become a strong Christian and, and serve and change the lives of other people. So stay connected, whether it's at a physical campus or a digital campus, stay connected to Harvest Church. Keep receiving this word and let it speak life into your life. Hope you have a phenomenal day. Hey, congratulations. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com holiday. Ah, feel the whoa with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's.